can you see yourself still being as passionate and wanting to record, even if you don't need to, even if maybe, you know, yeah, it's not something that's required? Well, honey, I'm going to have to pay the bills. Hello. Hello. You're listening to Track by Track with me, Dan. And me, Will. This is the podcast where we take a great pop music album and break it down track by track. And you're joining us for our second album of the year episode of Track by Track this week. So, (laughs) who's on the turntable this week, Dan? On the turntable this week, we have got Fun City by Bright Light, Bright Light. And as we hinted at last week, we are going to be joined on the recording in some way, shape or form by Bright Light, Bright Light. That's right. Unfortunately, we didn't get flown out to New York, uh, all expenses paid to sit down with him and do it face to face. But we had a great, uh, lovely, like long conversation with him talking about the album, talking about the year that we've had, talking about the work that he's been doing. Uh, and we will throw over to ourselves with him in a moment. But uh, just to mention Fun City, uh, it was uh, released earlier on this year. Uh, and uh, I have to say, one of my favourite albums uh, that he has released so far. Yes, this is his fourth studio album, isn't it? Along There's lots of other EPs and things like that out there. But it is just a fantastic... It's, it's a gift for the LGBTQ plus community you can see that in the lyrics and the subject matter, but also in the huge list of guest stars on this album uh, that's so impressive. But also, I don't think that should take away from the fact that uh, Bright Light, Bright Light himself, a phenomenal songwriter, producer, singer. We're just, we're huge fans, aren't we? Oh, absolutely. But I know what you mean about this album. When I first saw what he was offering, I was open-mouthed. That's uh, not too much of a rarity, actually. <laughs> Dirty bastard. Uh, so without any further ado, uh, let's hand over to uh, Dan and Will, who are with Bright Light, Bright Light. So a big hello to Rod, a.k.a. Bright Light, Bright Light. Hello. Hi, Rod. Hi, Rod. It's great to have you with us uh, to talk about Fun City today. Um, not been out too long. Um, September, September 18th. Is that correct? It was released. Yeah, so just just coming up to two months now, which is uh, I don't know. It time seems to have a very weird uh, identity this year. I can't, I can't tell whether it came out like a week ago or like twelve <laughs> years ago. It's very. I do think this. You would think this year would have been an absolute drag and would have just you know taken forever to get to the end of it because I think we're all willing for it to end for various reasons. But actually, I found that it's flown by somehow. So time flies when you're having fun, but also time flies when you're. Lockdown in the middle of a pandemic as well, apparently. Rod, what's it been like since September, since the release of the album? What has the reception been like? Uh, what um, feedback have you had? Uh, what's been happening? Um, the reception was really amazing. You know, it connected with a lot of people and that made me feel very proud of what I'd achieved with the record. And just having so many different people on it gave it a bit more life than it would have had otherwise, I think, which is what I wanted. I wanted it to feel like a sort of community project, 
Um, and that felt really good. It's just so weird for the first time in my life to have no live activity and to put out an album and not be able to tour it is really strange. So it's an album about community and about connecting people that you have no ability to do that with, which is really strange. Um, so, you know, moving on from putting the album out, it is a really odd experience to sort of be just on my own or like not doing the normal promotional shows and seeing fans that you haven't seen for however many months. It's um, it's really odd. I don't know how to describe it. It's really odd, really strange. And it's the same for us too. I think anyone who listens to this podcast will know that we're huge Bright Light, Bright Light fans. Uh, we were so looking forward to this album. And now when we're talking about songs or even when we listen to them, when I was listening to this album uh, just this week, I can just imagine seeing the songs live. But right now, that, it, that is just in my imagination. This gig is just, yeah. you know, it's, it's not a real thing yet. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's as you say, it's just the, the standard album and then tour. And uh, I guess as with many other people, we're just hoping that it's not too long before you can take to the stage and before we can be in that crowd. Yeah, how weird though, isn't it? You know, to it's such a big part of my life. It's about at least 50% of my life is being on a stage and uh, traveling, being in airports, all that kind of thing. And to not have that at all this year is just so, like my body doesn't know what to do with itself. So for the period since the album came out, I think my body has really struggled to be so stationary and to have geared up for an album release and then your brain has this like muscle memory of you know preparing to travel preparing to see your friends less preparing to be here there and everywhere and be on different time zones and none of that's happened and it's kind of like ptsd in a way without the um event that would cause it (laughs) it's very weird (laughs) is it strange as well to have not been back to the uk since well i guess the start of the year to not just to, to tour it and promote it, but to celebrate the release of the album with friends and family and 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 people that you know over here. Because I'd imagine that would have been a big part of this year and the plan as well. Yeah, it's very strange. Um, luckily, I was in the UK up until the day that lockdown started. Um, so I did get to see some friends and my family then. Um, but it's so bizarre, like not having any idea when I will next come back to the place that I was born and I have tons of friends and family and you know some of them are older now I don't know when I'll get to see them again and um yeah it's it's really it's really odd like the the UK is obviously such a big part of my life and I grew up there I've spent you know so up until I was 30 I lived in the UK and um just trying to process not being there at all and you know chart wise the album did really well in the UK and I don't even get to even acknowledge that with like anything in physical presence it's really it's really really odd situation um just everything feels so up in the air and so you know unreal like a dream kind of thing so this you put out the album you have the initial response and the reviews and the initial like chart position or whatever, and then it's just gone, and then it's like on to the next person, and the next person, the next person, and of course, like every artist has had that this year. Um, it's just so strange to be like, oh well, what now? You know? Yeah. Although I think what's um, you know is actually a massive thank you from us and from I know a lot of uh, our followers who are also fans because 
you know, you could have delayed the album and you could have put it back to, to next year, like I think some people are, but this was a real savior actually through lockdown to have this as, you know, we're massive pop music fans to have this fantastic pop music album and the fact that it was full of so many collaborations and things like that. And it was a kind of really strong message of um, hope, I suppose. Mm. Um, yeah, it, it really kind of was a, a marker point of of 2020 and it was it was great to look forward to it and it's great to have afterwards so uh to quote a band that we both love thank you for the music ah (laughs) you're welcome i mean i think you know on many levels there was no reason to delay it first of all because it really is about this entire situation of needing your community and needing to recognize what's going on in the world needing to be politically aware needing to be socially aware and um and considerate and and mindful of what's going on but even beyond that, like, what would the benefit of delaying it a year be? You know, there's there's no guarantee there's going to be shows next year. There's going to be a huge bottleneck of releases that will come out next year, plus everything else everyone else has been working on. Um, so I figured, if anything, it's probably better to just put it out and, you know, let it come out in the year that it was designed to come out in, regardless of what can happen, you know. There's always going to be, like you know, for every Dua Lipa that does put the album out or Gaga that delays it, but it does come out, there's going to be like 25 major label artists that will have postponed a release and then they'll kind of dominate the you know, the online streaming or whatever next year. So there's really, there was no point delaying it. So at least, you know, at least they kind of stuck with that and it, it emerged. <laughs> so it <laughs> crawled out of the ground and then promptly fell back in. <laughs> We, uh, you mentioned before how well it's done in the UK, and I think we need to acknowledge that now. This was number one, uh, the number one UK dance album, mm-hmm. and the number one UK indie breaker album, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, and also number three in the indie charts. Yes. This, this is uh, your best charting album to date, isn't it, in the UK? And uh, again, congratulations for that, because it's Thank so you. well deserved as well. Yeah, it, it is, yeah. Um, which is surprising in this day and age, and really nice, and like very encouraging. So... It felt it felt really good to be able to celebrate a record that was about a lot more than just me. You know, it really is about like the other people on the record as well, and um, and the other people that it's trying to talk to. Um, so it felt nice to be able to celebrate a record that isn't focused on myself. Um, and I'm really pleased that that at least spoke to enough people to get it into some kind of you know chart position. It felt good. It's great to see dance, you know, pop dance um, music doing so well. I think it feels like it's been a really strong year. You know, and we've had Roisin and we've had, um, oh God, who else? Jesse Jessie Ware. Jesse Ware. Um, you know, we've had some brilliant stuff come out. And again, it's the year when we can't go out and enjoy and dance with other people and enjoy that music. Mm. But it's really helped the year having these great albums to lift you and to focus on. Mm. Should we get stuck into the album? Sure. You ready, Dan? I, I'm more than ready, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Raring to go. So, side one, track one. Mm-hmm. This is Touchy. Out of everyone you've had, who do you like the best? Who gets your heart racing till it's beating out of your chest? Out of everyone you've tried, who do you like the most? so that was track one touchy and that was featuring brendan mclean 
How did that mm-hmm. first collaboration come about? We'd been sort of friends on Twitter, I think, and then, you know, the other socials for a long time. And um, we'd been talking about doing something together. And just when I wrote the song, I imagined it as this sort of um, like Moulin Rouge-esque intro to the album where like the velvet curtains go back and then you see this big performance which welcomes you into the world of Fun City. And I know that he'd done some work with Baz Luhrmann in the past. He was uh, like an extra on one of his films. And just because the song is a bit like dirtier and that Brendan is like just such an unashamed slut on his <laughs> on his on his songs and in his videos and in his social media, I thought he'd be the perfect fit for it. Like I I love his energy and his persona and his sense of joy and playfulness with everything that he does and his voice you know I thought wrapping those things up together onto this song would really bring it to life and we had so much fun he happened to be in New York actually at the start of the year and just came over and uh, recorded it with me and it was really fun and was it always intended to be the track one on the album the opener the into fun city I got I went back and forwards with that but I think with the way that it starts it felt like a really good intro piece you know it feels like it's the right pace where it's like building up to something happening and I just really loved it so I just yeah I kept it there I couldn't think of a better way to start the record yeah it's a, maybe someone else could I don't know no it's a great it's a great way in I like the I like that idea you said about kind of welcome to fun city and it is the kind yeah. of entry point into it because uh, I think it would feel a little bit more a little bit harsher if you kind of went straight in with, you know, one of the more uh, upbeat, faster paced songs on the album. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think it's a good start. Dan, what do you think? Yeah, absolutely love it. I think I am sure Roger won't want to confirm or deny this, but when I listen to this song, this is, I can imagine this opening the show as well and the, the Fun City tour. Uh, it just does uh, a phrase that we overuse in the podcast is set out the store, but it really does set out the store of you know, your fourth studio album, that's going to be a new sound, there's going to be hints yeah. of the old sound. Um, and, I, and I think it does that beautifully. There's particularly, um, I like how it's almost like a song of two halves, like it starts quite gentle. Mm. And then post post first chorus, you kind of go into that next gear. And I think there's some some electric guitar sounds kind of come in then as well, which you talked about, it's a bit dirty, it does give it a bit yeah, more it's bit filth. edge as well. <laughs> it's just filth, yeah. <laughs> it was the first song that I wrote actually as this new batch of songs um, the day that I moved into this apartment and it just seemed to work it was really different to anything that I'd written before I think and it helped to I don't know set like a, a bar for what I wanted the rest of it to move on from um, just really wanted to push things and, and just not make it sound like the rest of the records you know each album it's difficult to try and work out how to zhuzh it up a bit and, you know, and not not repeat the same kind of thing. So um, when I wrote this one, I was like, oh, okay, maybe that maybe that's a good starting point. And then it just stuck as the opening song. And worth pointing out as well, it, it is every track, and correct me if I'm wrong, Rod, every track is written and produced by yourself, by solely by yourself. Is that right? Or there are a couple no, of exceptions along the way? No, not quite. Almost. Um, so... Uh, Good at Goodbyes, I wrote with a team from Australia um, remotely. Uh, you Make It So Easy, Don't You? I wrote in LA with John Shave. Um, it's All Right, It's Okay, and These Dreams, I wrote in Baby Daddy's studio about um, 20 minutes walk from here. 
and then all of the others I wrote and recorded in here. Which it, it, which is still, you know, a, a fantastic feat. But yeah, what, what's great about this album and, and the amount of collaborations you have is that there are some artists on here that I know and love, but also it's introduced me to some new artists as well. So Good. Brendan McLean, I will say, is, is a name that I didn't know. Oh, but, okay, great. And, and I know for a fact that after what you said about his videos, Will will be straight <laughs> to YouTube after this. Yes, he had uh, one of his videos was like a gigantic viral sensation because it goes through all of the gay sexual, um, not cliches, but like the hanky code and everything. Um, and it was it was really like X-rated and it, it was literally everywhere across the whole world. It was amazing. Okay, I think I've seen this video. Yes, There's you've, a certain yes. moment in it that yes. has just become flooding back. Yes. Good choice of... Uh, <laughs> I'm going to get up on my, other, on my other Mac here now whilst we play the next song. Um, yeah, get ready. Uh, and was it always your intention to have a lot of collaborations on this record? Um, or did that kind of just uh, evolve as you went up through the, the writing process? It, I definitely wanted to have a lot of collaborations. I didn't think I'd get this many. Um, but as I went along, um, there was a moment where I was on stage opening for Cher last year. And I just got a bit tongue-tied between songs. And I said, well, as you can see, we're very gay. And the whole room cheered. And it was amazing. And then after the show, I had so many DMs on Instagram and Twitter with young kids being like, thank you for saying that. Nobody says that in public in Germany nobody says it that explicitly on this size of platform and it made me think that there was an opportunity to very simply do something meaningful to people that don't see visibility and representation so at that point I thought well maybe I'll then use this album as like a you know a platform for queer artists and try and fill it with as many voices as I can so that it uplifts people that people don't know and you know, showcases some people who I know who've sold millions of records. And that was the moment where I was like, oh, this album's taken on a slightly different purpose. Um, and that's when I chose to like literally jam pack every song with as many people as I possibly could. It was such a bittersweet moment for us when I saw that it was opening for Cher, was elated, and then saw that it was in Europe and not in the UK. And we went to see her at the O2. And with no offense to Mr. Paul Young, um, it would have been a very different evening if we would have had you there opening the show. Well, what can I say? <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't your choice. I'm sure you didn't say, I don't want to play the UK. There, well, there was a moment where they were talking about extending the run and they just weren't confirming or declining it. And it was at the point where like, I couldn't afford to not have the flights booked home. So I did kind of make the call and be like, I'm going to have to go back. So I just just booked the return flight and and there we are and then you got Paul Young <laughs> but I'm still I'm still mystified as to the decision making behind Paul Young it just didn't feel like with like the crowd the audience that was there to see share it just felt you needed something a bit more the, the, the dance the disco the party atmosphere it felt like a bit of a flat start well i I have no comment on that. <laughs> <laughs> on that very queer decision. But, you know, we've had a year of very odd things happening since then. So I guess it was just a start. <laughs> it's all Cher and Paul Young's fault. It's not Cher's fault. No, it's never Cher's fault. Dare I say that. Dare I say that. Uh, let's move on to track two now. And this is uh, I Used To Be Cool. I don't know what you do. I don't know how you do it. You 
don't know the fire started here in my mind Oh, the world is full of fools, but I guess it's me you're fooling I'll write your name on everything, cause everything is you And I've got all night, all day, for your tears, for your pain So I used to be called there. This is the only non-guest track uh, on the album. And this was also the second single from the album, Rod. Was mm-hmm. it always uh, was your order of singles? Was that kind of always very set or, or how? Uh... No, actually, I wanted to launch with this song. Um, but because it was, this kind of had to be a summer single. Um, and because we were launching it before the summer, then I switched the order around and then this was my house I thought would be a good kickoff with Nikki and Donna and, you know, a kind of like soft start, which ended up being like a, you know, it did really well. Um, but I kind of thought in my mind, launching with a song called I Used to Be Cool was a really <laughs> camp, self-deprecating reference that would be really funny. Um, uh, but it ended up not being the opening song, it, you know, cr- chronology wise. Um so it didn't quite land like that, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I'm glad that it was a single at the very least, but I thought if we'd pushed the album out a little bit later then it would have been this as the lead single. There was a very fun video for this track. Uh, yes. what was, what was it like? It looked like you had a lot of fun doing, re- shooting it. What was, <laughs> what was it like? And what was the idea, uh, the inspiration for it? The idea behind the video is to do something really dumb and, referencing lots of like American culture that a lot of us really loved. So Fast Times at Ridgemont High and Desperately Seeking Susan, the Billy Idol Eyes Without a Face video, kind of like American teen movies where there's a bit of delusion and romance and escapism. Um, Three of us in the video were not from America. We're all immigrants. So I thought it'd be funny to play with American culture and give us, you know, a shot at the American dream, quote unquote, just to be, just to have fun, you know, to just do a video that was really fun and really sun-drenched and really sort of saved by the bell color palette. Um, and we had a really good time doing it. It was so much fun. It was boiling hot um, in my friend's gorgeous house upstate. It was a really, really great time making that video. We had a lot of fun. Yeah, major house envy as well. Uh... Yes, the house is amazing. <laughs> yeah. And of course, this was a single and there are some great remixes of this track, including your own uh, poolside disco mix as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, how it's, I think it's not too common for artists to remix their own songs. Mm. It seems to be something that you enjoy doing. Yeah, I mean, I've done it before out of necessity, but I thought that my idea with this album was to get it into as many different queer spaces as possible. And because I have lots of friends that DJ and host lots of different types of parties across the world, um, you know, everything from silly fun pop parties to harder house parties to disco throwback events. I wanted to make mixes of each of the songs that would fit into those different realms. Um, so I just had a lot of fun making different versions of the songs that would lean towards um the different audiences and the different uh sounds that they create in their events um and i ended up doing it for the other singles as well it was just a lot of fun to to play around with it and reimagine them um because when you're writing songs they do go through quite a lot of different incarnations before the final production 
Um, less so with with the two tracks we've just listened to. They that production was like from the get go, but it's nice to see how else they can live and what different energy, just like a, a slight production twist, can uh, can add to a song. And I'm I'm hold you personally responsible for bringing Ian Masterson's Trouser Enthusiasts out remixing out of retirement mm-hmm. um well a few years ago now first off mm-hmm. but again for a remix on yeah. the, on this album as well and obviously he since then he's remixed danny again but uh that must have been cool um because from what i've seen you sort of talk about and share you love those kind of classic 90s uh dance tracks and remixes must have been cool to have a trousers enthusiast remix of your music yeah, it was great. So the first one that Ian did was for Waiting for the Feeling back in 2012. Oh my God, so long ago. <laughs> um, but, you know, he's a really good friend of mine and he co-produced choreography with me. So we did all the, the mixing for that. So we've worked together a lot. He's a really, really good friend. But it was nice to have him doing a full-on banging, you know, pop as a clock remix, <laughs> uh, as well as doing the more subtle production, which he's also very good at. And just, in fact, just lyrically, the whole, this whole idea of, um, I used to be cool. It's one of those tracks that you just see the title. Uh, and, and we talk about this a lot, the idea of going in a record shop, turning it over, seeing that title and just wanting to, wanting to know what that song sounds like mm-hmm. and knowing that you're going to relate to it as well. Um, <laughs> that, that was fantastic. Mm. Will, I'll tell you what it's like. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> so should we move on yes. to track three? Let's do it. This one is Sensation. So that was Track 3 Sensation featuring uh, the one and only Jake Shears. Um, again, I know you're really good friends, so it must have been a real treat to record together for this track. It was, yeah. I love Jake so much. And, you know, it was so nice to have friends involved in the record and especially a friend who pretty much... Um, changed the landscape for queer people he's one of my heroes he's done so much for gay people in terms of visibility and uh letting the music industry have no excuse not to give queer people a voice anymore um so for a song which is about finding the people that bring you back to life um i thought jake would be the only fit really he's just amazing and his voice is just so so good your voices sound fantastic together on this track but also musically there's just something it sounds to me like the fun fair or something like that it's <laughs> yeah it's such, uh, yeah it's like neath fair like the waltzes and like those things that spin you around and make you puke <laughs> yeah <laughs> um yeah it's just it sounds like of course celebration um one of the words that's uh, repeated throughout the chorus but it it just sounds it's euphoric this song um, good and of that's... course it was a single as well, of course, wasn't it? It was, yes. So it was the song that came out between um, This Was My House and uh, I Used To Be Cool. It wasn't going to be. It was going to be something else. Yeah, like the order did change kind of last minute, which is why there was no video or remixes for that song. 
Um, but we kind of thought, like me and Jake, that it would be a nice thing to do together as something that kind of introduced one of the the friends involved in the record and something about something uplifting because I think during April just things were like really shit. Um, yeah. So I wanted to put out the most positive, happy song that I could in that period of time to just do something uplifting, you know. And the artwork for the not just the album but the whole campaign is just fantastic. And I think my favorite is the artwork for this single. <laughs> the t- it's really fun. Again, it's it's fun. It's bright. Um, it's like nothing you would have seen. I was going to say in the record shops, but you know, if you're sort of scanning mm. through whatever streaming service you're on, it really it catches your attention. And I think it, you know, it set you know what you're going to get as well, actually, because you're going to get a really upbeat. Uh, fun song as well who did um the artwork for the albums and singles it's a guy called uh fulvio um his uh handle is fulalio f-u-l-a-l-e-o um he's like this amazing um south american designer that lives in melbourne um and it's just amazing i found his work online on instagram messaged him we started chatting and sent him a copy of the you know demos of the record to talk about um working together and he really liked it so yeah from sort of the middle of last year we were working together talking about uh the artwork and the direction and the references and the mood boards and stuff i think he's fantastic i love his work so Mm. much was everybody happy with their uh likenesses uh as they appeared on the singles now so i mean they all look great they were, yeah, which is a relief. <laughs> <laughs> I think especially as more and more people continue to want to have physical releases as well. And like with cassettes now, um, this is just one of those albums that was just, oh, sorry, the, this is one of the pieces of artwork that just looks even better on a vinyl. And of course, mm-hmm. there's the pink vinyl and the colored cassettes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, obviously we know, anyone who follows you on Instagram knows that you're an avid uh, physical collector as well, aren't you, of music? Yes. Yes, I am. Yeah. So it was important to me to have the vinyl and the cassette and, you know, less so the CD, but a lot of people that um, are in my lovely fan base, they like a CD. So, um, yeah, there's no way it was just going to be a digital record. There's no point. I've got to say, it's, it's always a treat on uh, on your Instagram stories when we see your display behind you and you change up the records uh, mm. for the kind of time of year and things like that. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's always fun. Good. <laughs> I was just looking at the the Romeo and Michelle poster and the kind of shelves behind you, and it it feels mm-hmm. like a familiar sight because I think one of the great things that has happened this year is you've done a lot of lives, or uh, DJing, playing records, um, doing what you love, and mm. that's definitely helped a lot of people. Um, and thankfully, other artists have done similar things as well. How important was that to you during lockdown to kind of keep that some performance element going? Um, it was very important. Uh, at the beginning, it was because I was really lonely because we were on full lockdown and I didn't see any of my friends for seven weeks, which was, you know, phenomenally shit. Um, and then beyond that, it was just nice to see creating some kind of little community online and watching people interact with each other and make friends and start following each other um, and have some kind of musical outlet because it really was so strange to not have any DJ sets or any live shows or anything for, you know, in public, because that was such a big part of my life. Um, So it was really nice to keep that going. Um, And then as things started opening up again and people were out more and more, it made less and less sense to keep them up. 
But I do think for those first couple of months, it was really useful to have that and really, um, really uplifting. Okay, let's move on to track number four now. Uh, Good at Goodbyes. Memories have been filling up my mind and my night Till I can't decide what's wrong and what's right Is it a trick of the light? Or is that your reflection? talked about how many incredible names are on, on this album and there are um but you know andy is a legend he's mm-hmm. not only a pop music legend but as an lgbtq plus uh rights activist to use a, a phrase that's overused perhaps he walked so a lot of us could run uh, yes. as m- musicians like yourself as creatives just as members of the lgbtq plus uh society i guess how was this for you working with Andy? Really overwhelming. Um, he's, you know, Erasure, my favorite band, and Andy has changed the world for us, you know, in kind of everything that he's done. He's an incredible person. He's so lovely, so sweet. And just to, I remember very clearly buying Always by Erasure on cassette single when I was young in Woolworths in Neath. And just, I love the song so much. And I used to listen to it over and over and over and I can't believe that that person is on a song that I wrote. I really, I really can't believe it. It's just so. I mean, obviously, I've worked with Elton John and with, you know, the Scissor Sisters many times and Alan Cumming. But really, for me, Andy Bell was just like beyond my comprehension. It was just amazing, amazing to have him on this record. And not only having uh, Andy on the record, but also there is. The Vince Clark remix as well. So mm-hmm. almost a full Erasure collaboration. Yes. Did, was that, did that come around kind of a long time afterwards or was it quite early on? Did you know that you wanted a Vince Clark remix of this track? Oh, as soon as I got Andy done, I asked Vince. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I played it to him. I went round to, to Vince's house in Brooklyn last year as soon as we'd done the recording and played it to him. He was like, oh, this is really good. So I was like, oh, do you fancy doing a remix? Went, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's so funny. <laughs> Vince is one of the funniest people in the world. He's so cool. Uh, and and again, you've got, uh, there is, I mean, the remix is such a great package on here because you've got Tracy Young as well and another yeah. uh, couple of remixes uh, from you. Tracy Young has been behind so many, uh, like, like you said earlier, Pop as a Clock remixes of big mm-hmm. pop tracks. That must have been a great moment as well to have kind of got that in the bag for the single. Yeah, Tracy's awesome. I really, really, really like her a lot. She's so cool. Um, she did a remix of All in the Name years ago, which kind of only came out really in the US. Um, but it was it did quite well in the club charts over here. But she's been so great. And we've sort of kept in touch um, since then. And we just started chatting on... Oh, God, I don't know what happened. I emailed her. And... Um, and so I sent her the song and she loved it. And so we ended up like WhatsApping for like a couple of days and she was sending ideas across. Like, and you know, she won a Grammy last year. She won a Grammy. She's the first like uh, out lesbian producer, I think, to win a Grammy in its history. Um, wow. Or maybe the first woman to win a remix Grammy. Uh, she won for the her Madonna remix. Mm. And um, 
And yeah, she's just amazing. She's so fun. I love her production. She's great. And then just to talk about the the album version of this track, this is uh, a, a really stunning song, particularly that intro, that that very kind of quite more subtle piano-led intro. Mm-hmm. In, intro, sorry. And it almost almost kind of uh, takes you by surprise. It can, I, I was... I thought maybe it's going to stay like that. Maybe it's going to be a really strict backtrack. And then that beat comes in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is like a very Donna Summer of, of us, I suppose, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. We obviously, I've said before, we uh, we share so many favorite bands. Uh, just thinking about Pet Shop Boys and ABBA. And sad bangers are such an important part of pop music. And I think this is such a good sad banger. Good. That's a uh, job done. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, track number five now, and this is uh, You Make It So Easy, Don't You? So you make it so easy, don't you there? Uh, Rod, I love the sass of this title. Is it intended to be that way? <laughs> it is a quote from Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman in Batman Returns. Ah, your pop culture references mm-hmm. just... Uh... <laughs> mm-hmm. I had been dying to use that quote in a song for about three years. And um, I went to LA to work with John Shave, who's an amazing songwriter and producer who used to be part of... Um, well, he still is part of The Invisible Men, but he's doing a lot more um, collaborative work at the moment. And he's been a long-term collaborator of mine. So he worked on everything from like Being Sentimental, which is the B-side of um, Disco Moment, up until this album. And we were just messing around in the studio and he played around with these chords. And then I thought of that line again and it just seemed to work. And it was really nice to have a kind of breezier but slightly sassy song um, that just like fell together. It was really nice. And how did Sam, Sam Sparrow, how did, how did he come into the mix? I just emailed him. <laughs> I emailed him and asked him if he'd sing on a song with me. And he said, yes. Sometimes <laughs> that it's that, that easy. Um. <laughs> sometimes it's that easy. Yes. Um, yeah. It's weird. Like sometimes it just works like that. Other times it's almost impossible to get hold of somebody. And sometimes you just, you know, you just hit them at the right moment and, you know, and they can be bothered to listen to a song. It doesn't always <laughs> happen, but yeah, Sam's great. I love Sam. Uh, and again, he's had a, he's released a great uh, dance record this year as well. Um, yes. Which is, which is really good. Yes. It's an incredible record. Yeah. I've got some Sam Sparrow catching up to do actually. Love the first album. Love this album. I need to do some bit of homework in the middle there. Mm. Well, you know what you're doing today. <laughs> yep, that's <laughs> further listening for me. Mm-hmm. So, track six now. This is It's Alright, It's Okay. Or did you promise yourself even better? If you want to be part of a world where your heart doesn't hurt, say the word, and we'll make it there together. It's alright, it's okay. Break the silence. Live your life and don't let anybody change what's inside you. 
So that was It's Alright, It's Okay. This is my favourite track on the album, what I have to say. I love, it sounds amazing, but just the message behind it as well is, mm. it's just so, so empowering, so important as well. Uh, and just that balance of an amazing dance pop record and a great message, it's... I have I've got to ask the question where did this track where did the idea from this track come from from insanity um (laughs) I don't know I was in the studio with Scott baby daddy and we were talking about songs that made us really happy we were just listening to like old Madonna Pet Shop Boys songs and we were just playing around with sounds in the studio so we put the beat together and then he was working on this little bass line and I was playing some notes on a piano and um, yeah, I just started improvising the lyrics and I wasn't sure initially if um, that line, um, did you come as a boy or a girl or did you come as yourself even better? I didn't know if that was like something that would empower people or something that people would find problematic. So for a long time, I really mulled that over, but decided to kind of go with it and use it as something that reminds people about identity, politics and the fact that you have to push against prejudice and make it a, a song that was a bit more um, aggressive politically and uplifting in the in the queer world, you know, um, which I haven't really done before. And it felt amazing to do it. So it sort of came out of nowhere. That wasn't the intention of the song. Just like with the the pounding drums and the, the bass line, it kind of made me feel like I was back in gay clubs in London when I was really in my formative years of like listening to Electro Clash and you know dancing to like weird Björk remixes or <laughs> um like Madonna's Confessions album or something like that it felt oh, yeah. it felt like very different from anything that I'd done before or that I'd heard Scott produce before um and also kind of like you know reminded me a little bit of like Invisible Light by Scissor Sisters you know just with how brooding it is and yeah, it just felt like the right thing to do was just to see where it went. And I I don't normally do this, but from the session, I went home and I wrote the, the song after the session. Um, normally I'd write it in the room with the people, but um, I was nervous about it because it was just so different lyrically from something I'd written before. So I kind of had to do it in private and then do all the vocals and all the harmonies and then send it back to him just in case without all the harmonies there I didn't feel confident and I sent it back to him he's like oh this is great so I was like oh okay brilliant (laughs) (laughs) and you know with all of that meaning and that care that the in the in the lyrics and the process then the chorus is just just this huge very dramatic euphoric moment and like if you were in one of those clubs you could just imagine punching the air Mm. like it's all right it's okay um it's that's i think that's for me what really makes it a highlight as well is it means something but at the same time it's just so uplifting and so in your face good i mean i included those like brass hits to reference it's a sin by the pet shop boys because i kind of wanted to wanted to have the narrative of like it's a sin switching to it's all right you know like just having that that chronology through time of how something was viewed and how it is viewed now or how it should be viewed it's like a kind of uh intertextual song between like another queer historical artist as well 
Um, but it was really fun to do it. And it, the chorus is so intense. I know it's it's wild. <laughs> it's such a lot. And just to go back on what you said there, I think we're not musicians, but we we love, you know, describing sounds that we hear. Uh, and what was it you what was you said uh, brass hits? Is that that is that? that yeah, sound? it's like it's like an orchestra hit. The boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Um, it's like a very 80s sound that people use. Like the Pet Shop Boys use it on It's a Sin. It's like boom, 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 It's a Sin. Yeah, brilliant. Um, so it's the same sound. Like lots of people have used it in the 80s. Like Jam and Lewis used them a lot. Like Janet Jackson's um, one, I think, if you, it's like boom, 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 boom. It's like a an orchestra sample. So like they're traditionally used in like, you know, 80s, uh, like breakbeat songs and um, like sort of r&b leaning tracks um so i kind of wanted to bring in a little you know black history and queer history mm. into the song as well uh just to touch on quickly cave boy of course featuring on this one mm. yes uh, another band too I'm, i might be wrong but i think um you may have introduced a few people to cave boy yes i think uh, so yeah i'm really i'm really proud of having them on the record i only heard about them in god when was it Mar- it february some one of my friends was in town anyway before lockdown and um she works at Amazon Music and she told me about Cave Boy so I went home listened to the album thought it was amazing immediately messaged them on Twitter I think or Instagram and then Michelle wrote straight back to me and then we started chatting and I asked them to be on the record and then within one week I had their vocals and it was ready for sending to to mastering it was amazing like they I think they're my favorite musical discovery of this year. Their album is in my like top five of the year, probably. They are like the sweetest, sweetest women. I love them. And I really, I think that their album is what Muna uh, potentially should have made as their second album. Not to take anything away from Muna, like their debut album is absolutely incredible. And the second album is really good. Um, but the Cave Boy album, I think, is so in the Moona world. Like anybody that listens to to that to the first two Moona albums would absolutely adore Cave Boy. They really like if they those two went on tour together, it would be like superstar, like you know, nuclear explosion of tour. It'd be incredible. Um, and you've Amazing. remixed uh, Obsessed, uh, one of their tracks as yes. well. Yes, yes, which was really fun. Love that song. It's so cool. So let's move on to the next one now. This is track number seven. This was my house. So that was This Was My House, uh, featuring Nikki Harris, Donna DeLore, uh, and with Initial Talk as well. This was the first single, so this was our first taste of this, of Fun City mm-hmm. and this album. Um, this yeah, very much leans into more of a house feel. Um, and it was, was it intended to be the first single, or was it something that kind of grew as you recorded more tracks? Because it feels like, I know we touched on it earlier with I Used to Be Cool, but it does feel like a great breath of fresh air into a new era for you. Yeah, I mean, as I said, I Used to Be Cool was intended to be the first single. 
But with this one, because um, because of everything that has been happening for the last few years and the song is about safe spaces for queer people and how they are in such jeopardy all the time, um, I thought maybe that would be the best intro to an album which was about the queer community, you know, to do something with an actual political or so you know societal message would be better to do than a slightly more delusional throwaway track to introduce the record which is about community um so we decided to put it out and you know i'm really proud that we got nikki and donna on the track and initial talks production is just completely amazing i love him so much um so it was like a nice introduction it was the best introduction i could think of as to what the album is about as a whole and yeah it was so great to hear not not only Nick and Donna, who of course have sung for just Madonna, just to you know, <laughs> yes, pick probably the one that most people might know. That's in itself is a huge feat. But also then a little bit new and in initial talk, not uh, a producer and remixer that we talk about a lot. So good, um, yeah. I, I, he must be one of the busiest producers uh, around at the moment because there's not a week that goes by where it doesn't feel like there's a track <laughs> coming out without that he's either remixed or had a hand hand in. He must be yep rushed off his feet. Yeah, he's had a great year. <laughs> and then, of course, there was a wonderful video for this song as well, wasn't there? Yeah, I had a lot of fun making that video. It was really fun to bring in that many people from New York and and make a, a bit of a party just before lockdown happened. You know, it was like three weeks before or something like that. Um, yeah, it was really lovely to see all of the faces of people that I'd met in the city who I find really inspiring um, bring the song to life. Yeah. It certainly did that. It's one of those where, yeah, I think, obviously, yeah, it came out during lockdown, didn't it? So it was one of those that just reminded us of the, the yeah. thing that we took for, I think we took it all for granted, go, just going out and being with friends. We didn't realize it was a luxury until we weren't able to do it. And that song, you know, we're looking forward yeah. to, I think we're all looking forward to recreating that video in our spaces. Whenever that might be possible, who next, knows? Next year, probably, by the way things are headed. But maybe in, yeah. e- in each other's houses, at least to start off with, would be nice. Would be nice. So, track number eight now. This is Never Be Lonely. So that was uh, Never Be Lonely there. Again, another kind of bit of a false start to that one. You think it's going one way and then that mm-hmm. beat comes in, which you know, I love that. But this, the thing that I thought about this one as it got going, and again, all I'm thinking about is going to gigs and, and hearing this album live. Have you thought yet about how you're going to whittle down the songs from this album to add to a set list that's already packed with amazing pop songs? Oh, I mean, in a way, lockdown's a lucky escape, isn't it? So I don't have to do that now. <laughs> Yeah, it's very difficult when you have four albums to try and keep something to like an hour-long show, you know? It's uh, it's not easy anymore. Um, I don't know, in all honesty. I did like a little um, online survey of fans asking what songs they liked from the previous albums that they'd want to hear. So I had an idea of that. And then trying to fit only a few of these songs into the... 
um, set list is is very difficult. It's really, really difficult, um, especially when I kind of wrote the whole thing to be performed live. And I kind of had this idea to do, um, you know, a tour of just this record at some point. But it's I'm not Beyonce, so it's not really realistic. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> And I'll never be lonely. I think the thing that this song that stands out to me with this song is it's the horns that come in later. It's the hand claps. It's got a real carnival vibe to this. Yeah, song. Was that the I wrote it. I wrote it to sound like a carnival. Yeah, I wanted it to be very celebratory and very like you know you and your friends are playing this like on the street and you're just like so happy and so optimistic. I really wanted it to feel like a big like street party. So good. I'm glad that you got that. It does that. Mm-hmm. Okay, track number nine now. Uh, these dreams. I do not believe in revolution, but you all do. I believe in the gay power. I believe in not getting our rights, or else I would not be out there fighting for our rights. I wish I could be happy for you, like I should. I wish I could be so calm before you solid wood but time takes so many uh, so these dreams there and for me this is similar in to it's alright it's okay in that a song with a real message but again another absolute banging song mm-hmm. that really goes off um and you know forgive me what is the sample at the at the beginning there well, the point of including this is to remind gay people of your history. So consider yourself schooled. That is <laughs> Sylvia Rivera, who made a speech at Washington Square Park. She was a trans woman, and it was her and Marsha P. Johnson uh, and, you know, many of the trans people that fought for our rights at Stonewall. And uh, people seem to have forgotten that through time. So I included that quote because it's an incredible speech. And also most white cis gays have forgotten about the importance of trans people in gay rights so it's important history is important and i wanted that to be a really strong part of the record uh, where people have to be told that you need to pay attention to your own history your community's history your culture's history and the history of the world um you know people fight for our rights so then we have the right to be complacent and then complacency breeds forgetfulness and then forgetfulness allows hatred to rise again Mm. so it's very cyclical um and uh that speech it's important to remember that when she was making that speech having you know recently fought for queer liberation she was booed by gay people making that speech at a gay pride so you know queer people have a lot to learn about their own history and this one is uh, featuring the illustrious blacks. Yes. Can you? Uh, I think this might be another name that maybe is quite new to some of your yes. uh, fans. Can you tell us a little yes. bit about them? Yeah, they're a Brooklyn-based duo who are these like absolutely phenomenally creative um, black queer artists who uh, are like endlessly innovative with like their costumes and their imagery and their DJ sets and their artistry and they make their own music. That uh, they're, they're friends of mine. We worked at some of the same venues and got to know them and just love them. They're in the This Was My House video as well. They're wearing like the silver bejeweled uh, outfits and I love them. So I asked them to be on this 
this song, um, which is about, you know, looking at people with more privilege and trying to be happy for them. But it's very difficult when you're oppressed. And, you know, as we've seen this year, people are still denying that black people face more struggles than uh, other white people, which is absurd. So I wanted their voices on this track. And, you know, LGBTQ plus people are still not, you know, treated as humans in most of the world. So, um, yeah, it's a song about trying not to let your mind go to dark places when you're still uh, subservient in culture and not resenting other people's success. But of course, it's it's very difficult not to do that. And I think it's one of the things that, you know, people do really respect about you as an artist, that you do use your platform for good. And anyone who follows you on Instagram, you know, it's not even it's not even just LGBTQ plus rights. It's it's, it's kind of human rights. You're just an activist for, I suppose, for what is right. Um, and it's, yeah, it's really admirable to see that. Well, listen, I'm not perfect. I'm just trying. And the whole point of this year, if anything, is just to show people Nobody expects you to be a pro at getting everything in order and knowing all of your history and crossing your T's and dotting your I's. Nobody expects that. I don't expect anybody to be, you know, a pro at queer rights when they're not queer themselves or like I don't know everything about women's rights. I'm not a woman. Um, But the whole point is just to try and to learn and to do your best. And there are still people that refuse to do that. I'm trying my best and I'm trying to encourage people to do their best. That's all anybody's asking everybody to do. Um, and that, you know, that that's what I wanted to achieve with this album is to give people a little bit of a push to try. To, to and try. Let's move on now to track number 10. Uh, this is Love Song. Can't get enough. Vibe too strong to keep it up. Chemistry explode, never let me go. Take a kiss and feed me secrets. Metaphors aside, you should be all mine. In awe of your skills, a sex genius. Just say my name, I want you obsessed. Float up from the bed with your head laying on my chest. I'm convinced it's real when we kiss. So, babe, let's go for this. I'm gonna write you a love song. So that was Love Song. I love the almost the juxtaposition of the fact that this love song is about not writing a love song, but kind of becomes a love song, but not in the traditional sense of a love song. Um, yeah, <laughs> if that makes any sense. Yes, it's a sex song. Um, I feel like, you know, it's important... The, the album is meant to point to lots of different parts of queer culture. And a big part of queer culture is people who are sex positive and in open relationships or non-monogamous relationships, polyamorous relationships, which is not me. But it is a lot of people that I know. And I thought I wanted to write a song which is a bit more playful and, you know, just something for people who don't feel, you know, traditional when it comes to sex relationships romance you know you can you can you can fall in love with more than one person and you can be attracted to more than one person and it isn't always like make or break for people so um i thought it would be uh silly not to have that in the mix really um and you know if people are single for a long time when i was single i was really like turned off by people who were in relationships and 
kept finding it depressing to constantly meet people who were in relationships already that were in open relationships. And at some point, I just learned to let that go and just enjoy whatever connection you can have with people. Um, But when I'm in a relationship, I'm not necessarily leaning towards an open one. Um, But just sort of like adding something in the mix, which pointed to an evolution in culture, not like a Evolution is wrong, like a, a a change, a shift in culture then, I suppose. And Big Dipper is amazing. He's just a fabulous, wonderful slut who I love to death. I was going to mention, it just feels like a brilliant fit to have him uh, feature on, oh, on, this, totally. on this record. He's, he's such a joy. I love him so much. Like He's just the most like joyful person in, in the world. He's brilliant. I love him. I like a couple of years ago, I loved his track looking that he released just because of mm-hmm. just the attitude and the energy. And it was like a breath of fresh air for me at the time. Yeah, um, he's brilliant. He's, yeah. 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 Mm. It's a great track. I love the think The, the kind of nineties influence is quite really strong in this track, particularly with that, uh, which you call it a spoken word or a rap kind of section yeah. at the end. And I think that really just gives it an extra layer of, uh, kind of 90s nostalgia i suppose yeah i don't know i don't know if i should disclose this really but there's like a couple of samples from mortal kombat 2 in there as well so i kind of like the idea of like you're having like a battle with other people so i sampled like katana and scorpion <laughs> um and i was going to include like finish him but i thought that was a bit too, <laughs> a bit too, <laughs> too blunt <laughs> um yeah uh track number 11 now this is next to you So that's next to you there. I have to say, Rob, this was the biggest surprise uh, on release day uh, to see uh, the collaborator on this track was Mark Gatiss, who mm-hmm. is just brilliant. You know, in the UK, you know, we've got League of Gentlemen, Sherlock has done a lot of work with Doctor Who as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And I know it's a repeated question, but I just have to ask how this particular <laughs> uh, partnership came about. We've been friends for a number of years now. I think we met in like 2016. Um, and uh, I he asked me to write the theme tune for his uh, Talking Head series for BBC Four a couple of years mm. ago, which is called Queers. So we did that and we've been really good friends. Like we talk all the time and every time he's here or I'm there, we always hang out. Um, and I, I think he's one of the most important voices in queer writing um in the UK and because he's such a good friend as well I just thought like why not ask him to do this like the the song was written in sort of response to one of the pieces in that queers uh monologue series that he curated anyway so I thought it would be a lovely fit to have him on this and it's just a spoken word piece you know in the outro but um I I really love him so much and I I love his addition to this it's it, and it is a curveball, you know, having him like Alan Cumming was the curveball on the last record, and Mark Gatiss is the curveball on this one. I didn't want it to be obvious guests, and to have a, a writer, actor, director as a little, you know, extra vocal mm. person, I thought would be 
a nice nice touch and a nice nod to queer culture the sort of the theatrical side of, of queer life not just pop pop world and i think people who follow you know that it's not just about the music it is about the the whole package the the artwork yeah. as we discussed earlier the videos and that so i guess the the theatricality of of uh, of your work of what you create yeah yeah uh, for me, this one it kind of musically, um, almost a bit of a nod to some of your earlier sounds. Yeah, it's a lot more sentimental and um, retro, I guess, in its production, somber. So it, it sort of ties in more with like you know, like life, life is easy with like in your care or something like that. Um, and I didn't really know what I was doing when I started writing this song. I just sort of set the beat to go and. Um, started playing the piano chords over it or the synth chords over it and it just wrote itself really it was um yeah just a very unexpected moment that emerged and ended up yeah there yeah so we're on to the last track on the album already mm-hmm. uh saying goodbye is exhausting but in your mind is a world that i didn't understand Over the hill there's a place where none of this happened Over the bridge you're still there looking up at the sky Over the sea there's a place where you could have been happy But all too So that was saying goodbye is exhausting a beautiful end I think to the album with Justin Vivian Bond uh, and yeah another great collaboration to finish one a great one to finish off with uh, how was that partnership how did you get together to record that we met a few years ago through people in New York so there's like a big the reason that I love living in New York so much is that artists mingle with each other and they introduce each other to their peers and their friends and support each other so I met Justin through friends of Scissor Sisters and other cabaret performers um, and just, you know, really enjoyed each other's company, seeing each other every now and then. Um, because the the song is about loss in queer culture and is very dramatic, um, I thought Justin would be a great fit because they, they're very synonymous here with, you know, the, the cabaret world and the theatre world and there's a venue close by called Joe's Pub where they perform very often and do these shows which pick up on different parts of queer history and queer musical heritage. Um, and just the tone of their voice is so sentimental and so just timeless. Um, I thought it would be a good fit. And they came over here to to do the vocals and um, I had the the record sleeve of the Corel soundtrack. If you don't know Corel, that's another part of your uh, queer history today. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> the, I had that on the wall. And after um, they finished the vocals, they were like, oh, it really reminds me of the Corel film. And I, that was the intention, you know. I, and they performed it as one of the characters from the movie, basically. And it was just so special to have... I figured that the song would speak to them and it really did. And it was just a really lovely collaboration to do with somebody who got the references, knew a lot of the history, you know, has lived in America where the AIDS crisis was so rife 
and so destructive um, in New York, especially. So to have somebody who's been directly affected by that in their lives growing up in this country and growing up here and seeing people be lost in the mix. Um, it, it, I wanted somebody who knew that history well to be part of the song and, um, and to have, you know, a, a trans artist on a track on an album, which is about rights that we've achieved through trans work and trans visibility and trans activism. Um, I thought would be like the best way to close the record mm. with somebody who's who's from, you know, a part of the, the community that gets underrepresented and under celebrated. It is a yeah, it's, a, a, it's the perfect close to the album. This just feels like such a, it, you know, it's stripped back. It's a stunning, uh, almost quite haunting track. Yeah, um, I was I honestly wasn't sure I was going to put it on the album. I didn't know if it fit and I didn't know if people would like it at all. Um, and then I just, I, it's about a friend that I lost and I sort of shaped the lyrics to be about general loss for the queer community. And I thought I had to put it on because it's such a big part of the LGBTQ plus experience, like constantly losing people too young every single week in the news. There's a story about like a, mostly black trans women being shot murdered raped dismembered you know all of these horrendous things which constantly happen literally nobody's doing anything about it there's the the holocaust the aids crisis there's homophobia transphobia all of these stories across the world all the time and no one is doing anything about it so i thought there's no way i could do a, a an album which is about the lgbtq plus experience which doesn't address the loss that we face at like horrifying rates constantly you know and I feel like that is, as I said before, it's perfect. It's a poignant end to the album and it's important as well. Um, yeah. But it's but also just... not devoid of hope. It's like, this is a part of our culture which we have to overcome. You know, it's sad and it's like devastating to lose people. But a lot of the people we've lost have been lost for our continued growth. You know, people that have like fought for our rights and put themselves out there and been bashed down you know they they haven't done it so that we then give up they've done it so that we have that extra motivation to keep moving forward and you know there there is constant loss but that doesn't mean that you stop and you let the other oppressor win it means that you get energized to find new ways to stand up against them definitely so that does bring us to the end of fun city the album uh, it's been a journey, but Rod, thank you so much for joining us to go through it. Yes, thank it's been, you. Uh, so insightful and such a celebration. And as everyone knows, this is one of our albums of 2020. So thank you for that. Well, thank you for having me and thank you for listening to it in a world, you know, or in a year where people have been like literally driven to the end of their sanity, trying to stay alive in, in this like wild year. Like I, I found it really difficult to absorb new music. I haven't really been in the headspace to to enjoy things in the way that I used to, which is quite, you know, an unusual position to be in. Um, so I'm really glad that it got through to you and, and you enjoyed it. It means a lot. Rod, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Well, we certainly had a giggle talking to Bright Light, Bright Light, a.k.a. Rod Thomas, live and direct uh, from his New York apartment. The 
famous New York apartment. If you follow him on Instagram, and we said it probably twenty thousand times during the recording, but he it's like a it's like a pop culture museum, isn't it? So it was fantastic to actually be on a call uh, and see what's going on behind him. And sadly, we didn't record that, so that's just for our eyes only. For our eyes only. James Bond. Anyway, <laughs> do let us know what you thought about uh, Fun City uh, and also our chat with Rod Thomas himself uh, at Track by Track UK. Yes, and if you did enjoy this episode, have you caught up with our other Bright Light, Bright Light episode on Life is Easy from earlier this year? Do check that out and let us know on Apple Podcasts with a rating and a review if you really, really, really enjoyed them. Five stars. And we are back on Saturday with our next instalment of our top 40 tracks of 2020. This week, we are going to be talking about numbers 20 to 11. Uh, So do join us for that on Saturday. And also next Tuesday, we will see you for our next album of the year. And Dan, just a very tiny hint of a tease, please. Oh, what I will say as well is that we've been we've been joined by our guests, but now it's getting back to track by track proper. It's you and I talking about the music, which people may or may not <laughs> enjoy. Um, I'm going to say five words on this one, Will. Track by track's favourite band. I've said too much. You've said too much. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's just going to be the two of us. We're just going to be getting down to it. Uh, old school style. So, so until, until then... then I've been Dan. And I've been Will. Goodbye. Goodbye. Missionary. <laughs> like a couple of old Saxus buds. <laughs>